Hi everyone, I'm Dee. And I'm Alex. And together we're DNA. And you're listening to the DNA of Mindful Relationships podcast. Have you ever found yourself caught up in a relationship filled with drama, conflict and angst and wondered, how did I get myself into this situation and how the hell do I get myself out of it? Wow, sounds very dramatic to me. All right, lights, camera, action. In this episode, we're talking about drama queens and villains. So, um, drama queens, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you looking at me, calling my name and saying drama Drama queens? queens. Well, um, the reason why I named it drama queens and villains is that I thought it might be good to discuss um, a model or a way of interacting that's problematic for a lot of people. So this is this is about some people's communication style or some people what, what what how is drama queen relevant to a relationship? So it well what we're going to talk about is um a model. So it's it's a way of looking at um different ways of communicating that are problematic. They create conflict within a relationship. And I found it really useful for myself. Um, and I use this way of thinking when I find that I'm in conflict with somebody and and I use it to identify what am I doing that uh, that might um, be problematic and might be um, uh, making things difficult in this relationship. So I thought it might be useful for listeners as well. And I often talk about this in my um, couples therapy sessions. Um, so let's look at that. But I thought I'd give you a little bit of background uh, for the the people out there that are a bit nerdy and want to want to know where it's all come from, I'm nerdy. Tell me more. Tell you more. Okay. So in the 1950s, a psychiatrist by the name of Eric Byrne uh, developed transactional analysis. Have you ever heard of that? Never. Okay. I I didn't think you would have because it was very popular in the 50s and 60s and and extremely popular in the states. Not so much in Australia, um, but It was essentially a method of studying and analysing the interactions between people, i.e. the transactions people made between each other. Mm -hmm. And he actually wrote um, a really big bestseller book called, and you may have heard of this one, Games People Play. Uh Have you heard of that one? Well, I've heard of the phrase. I don't know if it's related to a book, but yes, yeah. the games that people play is yeah. a phrase that people use quite often. That's right. And it, and it came from his book ah, because okay. uh, in his analysis, he uses the words, the, the games that people um, interact or um, engage with when, when they're interacting with other people. And often a game is a negative thing. It's not, it's not a positive thing. Ah. So it's not in the sense of the, you know, having fun with games. Yeah. It's actually used quite differently. Well, one of his disciples, Stephen Cartman, in the Hang 1960s. On, this isn't Cartman from South Park, is it? No. Screw you, hippie. <laughs> different Cartman. Okay. Different Cartman. Um, but in the 1960s, he actually used transactional analysis and developed um, the model called the drama triangle. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a fantastic way of looking at, 
at relationships that are problematic. And essentially, if you imagine a triangle, Alex, with the um, pointy bit upwards. Oh, the old pointy bit, <laughs> yes. And um, so on each of the points of the triangle, there is a way of interacting with people. Okay. And let's focus on the first point, the top point. Um, and that is the victim role. Mm-hmm. And the victim role is the person that says, poor me, feels hopeless, feels like they can't get their needs met. Um, there's you know, nothing they can do. They don't feel empowered. So it's a very disempowering role yeah. as the victim. And I think we can all identify with that at some stage in our lives. So this is, this is a, role, a role that we would play or people that we would know would fit that kind of victim role? So essentially the theory states that we, we um, engage in these roles and these ways of interacting at a very subconscious level. So we're not consciously going, oh, I'm going to be the victim today. Um, that never happens because the victim role is actually very, like I said, a disempowering role and nobody wants to be the victim, but it's very easy for us to identify that in other people. I mean, if you think about your workplace, anyone's workplace, people know who the victims are, the ones that often complain and poor me, and it's always, you know, I'm always the the poor suffering one. So is this role something that you are, or is it something that you can be at times rather than who you are all the time? That's a really good question. It's it's more the 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 latter, mm-hmm. um, because it's it's a role you kind of step into, but it's not necessarily who you are. Could it's be a situational or something. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and you may not play the victim in other situations, but it might be with this one person, for example, at work, like your boss or a particular colleague, where they always bring out the victim in you. Mm. Okay, so that's the victim one. Let's look at the other point of the triangle, the second point, is the persecutor. Okay. So the persecutor is the villain, and that when you're in that role, you're blaming everybody else and not taking responsibility for uh, your part in the interaction. And their belief system is along the lines of it's all your fault, it's not my fault. It's all your fault. You've got to fix this. You've got to do something about it. Oh, yeah, I know that role. I've seen that role. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so we can all identify that. It's harder to identify that in ourselves, I notice, but you, I'm sure you can think of someone or some people that um, would take on the persecutor role very easily. Mm. Okay. The third point of the triangle is the rescuer. Yeah. And the rescuer is the one that um, appears altruistic and appears like they want to help. And in fact, their, um, their motto is, let me help you. Let me see if I can help you. But there's an underlying um, agenda, I guess, that the rescuer has of, I'm going to help you so that I don't have to focus on my problems and my emotions and my needs. So if- that rescuer is almost even a victim as well. In some ways, mm. yeah, yeah. And and also, you know, in not um, focusing on their own needs, they can get some accolades for, for helping and rescuing someone else and mm. feel it's a bit of an ego boost for them. 
but it's it's a false sense of of ego or false sense of um, positivity because they still haven't managed or dealt with their emotions. Yep. So hang on, no, none of these three points of the triangle sound very positive. Like, um, is there a fourth option? <laughs> We might talk about about that. What about the drama square or something? Okay, so this is the drama square. Okay, I might have to expand on his theory. (laughs) But you're right, they're not positive. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is um, when you can identify something, then you can change it. It's hard to change a way of interacting if you can't identify what it is first. So, okay, so I'm a little confused. Mm -hmm. So do you have to be one of these roles in a relationship or is there another option that you can be the goody two-shoes and you're dealing with one of these people so that's what i'm trying to understand is this a triangle where these are transactions between any or either or all of these three or can you be a fourth a different type of character that is dealing or relating to someone that is one Mm. of these three Well, I'm going to answer yes to both those questions. Yes and yes. Um, Because it is about transactions between them. What I like about this model is that when you get seduced and you can be seduced into, um, you know, playing one of these roles when it was never your intention, um, you can flip the roles. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. For example, you might... um, be in a victim persecutor interaction with someone so you might let's say you're the victim <laughs> sorry I'm to make you the victim, the victim. <laughs> let's say you're the victim and i'm the persecutor so i'm the one blaming you and having a go at you and you're the one feeling like poor me you know what have i done i'm hopeless but what i like about this way of thinking is that you those roles can flip so you can move around on the triangle. So at some stage, you may turn around and start persecuting me. So it's like the bullied becoming the bully. Yes, that's mm. a really good example. The, the, you know, the, the bully, um, the kid that was bullied by their dad, for example, goes to school and bullies somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's exactly what can happen and it can flip around. Um, I might be you know, stepping in to rescue you because I think, wow, you need some help without your consent, of course, because that's what the rescuer does. I might be stepping in to help you and I might get this tirade of abuse because it's not what you wanted and, um, and I, you know, I might be making you feel inadequate and, you know, negative or bad or whatever. And then I become the victim and I feel like, oh, my God, I've been, I've been, you know, hurt and I was just trying to help. Yeah. So can you see how on this triangle, once you're in the triangle or the drama triangle, let's call it, you just move around the triangle aimlessly. And it, it, it does seem a bit hopeless and negative and, and it is. It actually doesn't create much joy or happiness and it, and it kind of goes nowhere. It sort of circles around. So can I get back to my original question? Because mm-hmm. I'm still a little bit at a loss. Yeah. So does everyone? So everyone who has a uh, a relationship of any sort, if it's a good relationship, are you none of those characters in the triangle? Is is this triangle only a- applicable if you have a negative uh, communication or a negative relationship? Yeah. Yes, and that's why it's called the drama triangle. So this is 
only a way of interacting that often is on a very unconscious level. But there are many people that interact quite differently to that. Right. And I want to talk about that. Um, And there was another theorist by the name of um, A.C. Choi in the 1990s came up with the winning triangle. I like that triangle better. Yeah, it's much more enjoyable to talk about. Um, But like I said, we need to identify when we're in the drama triangle because um, anyone can can bring you in or drag you into an interaction um, that is quite, you know, draining or negative or conflictual. But... Let's have a talk about the um, the winning triangle. Um, so essentially he came up with this uh, opposing theory to the drama triangle um, to counteract it, to look at positive ways to to um, or a positive model for, for social interaction. Mm-hmm. So let's imagine a triangle again. What type of triangle was it, Alex? Equilateral. An equilateral. And for those playing, playing at home, there, <laughs> what type of triangle is an equilateral triangle? Where all sides are equal and all angles are equal. Correct. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, what was the other one? There's an isosceles and uh, equilateral isosceles. High school geometry. And there was another one and I... I did know it. I can't remember it. Yeah. How many times have we used that in our lives? Well, when was the last time you called upon a rhombus? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I've i been in a rumpus room. Yeah, rhombus but room. But not a rhombus. Not quite. <laughs> so anyway, so his winning triangle. If you imagine the same triangle, but this time the roles are obviously quite different. And they're more positive roles. Um, and I'll go over them. But the idea is... Um, when you're in the drama triangle and you notice it and you become, you know, self-aware that you're, you're going along with that drama um, game, if you like, is to opt out of the drama triangle and choose a different role. So here are the, the three parts of the, the winning triangle. The first part is the problem solver. So the problem solver counteracts the, the victim. The victim is, like I said, poor me. There's no solution. Life is awful. But the problem solver actually looks at um, what are the solutions um, and, in fact, looks at all possible solutions without judgment or blame. The second part of the the winning triangle is the asserter, the person who's more assertive. So they can get their needs met and communicate their needs without stomping on someone else's toes which is quite different to the persecutor who doesn't care who they walk all over. The third point of the triangle, the winning triangle, is the carer or nurturer. So the carer, nurturer, cares for themselves as much as they care for other people. And they're very good at saying no and having very clear boundaries about um, what they can and can't do and what what help they can provide. So they're still caring people and um, they, they want to help if it's at the expense of themselves, they're very good at saying no. Yeah. So can you see how instead of being the victim, you can opt out of the victim role and start looking at problem solving? So you can transition from one triangle to the other. Yes. I like that. That's the exciting part. Yeah. That's what I really like about it. And I find that it's a really clear way to think about um, 
I'm in. I'm stuck in this interaction with with a particular person. What can I do? And you know, we often feel stuck, and we feel like there's no way we can change it unless the other person changes, and that's not true. Mm. Um, now, sometimes you do come across a persecutor type or a villain type. Doesn't matter what you do, you always feel persecuted or abused. That's the time to get out of it. Right Now, that might be in a relationship where you're feeling unsafe, um, you might be um, verbally abused. Um, and in those situations, I think it's very hard to um, create change in the other person by changing yourself. You need to create safety first. That, mm. That's number one. In a, in a work situation, sometimes, you know, there are people that you work with and particularly if they're at a higher level like a boss or a manager, um, it doesn't matter how you interact with them. You always feel like you come out the victim. Yeah. And, again, that, that's probably your time to, to move on, an opportunity to leave if, if you can. Right. Hey, I have some news for you. What's that? Triangle number three is a scalene triangle, ah. which has no equal sides. You looked that up, didn't you? I can neither confirm <laughs> nor deny that. So it's fun playing with triangles. <laughs> but the winning triangle is my favourite one. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think, Alex, you're very good at... Um, triangles. Triangles <laughs> and naming triangles. But you're very good at um, staying in the winning triangle. And you don't get – you don't buy into the drama triangle. You know, people often say don't buy into the drama. Um, and that's – this is what they mean. You've got to have an alternative to go to yep. if you feel stuck in the drama triangle. So – and I noticed that you're very good at that. Like you won't buy into someone else's persecution of you or um, – and. Maybe the only area, and we're getting very personal here. All right. And look, everyone, everyone's open here. That's you and me. <laughs> That's everyone. Are you telling we're, me I'm open? We're about both to open. Be open. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we're, it's good to be a little bit vulnerable, not too vulnerable. But I'm, the only thing I would say is that um, sometimes you have been stuck in the rescuer role. Well, I was actually going to say that about myself. If I yeah. if I had to pick a role in the naughty triangle, mm. um, yeah, probably rescuer would be the one where yeah. I've gone in there to try and help in a situation that is either unsavable or or is where I'm trying to. Yeah, uh, it's hard to articulate, but I, I, can, I can see how the rescuer role is something that I probably most identify with in that. Mm. In in that bad triangle, yeah. and I I would agree with you in terms of um, my role in the drama triangle. I think most um, people in the helping professions are often drawn to that profession because they are rescuers. Yeah, and what we learn with our training is to um, learn to set boundaries and not rescue, but to help problem solve to care with kindness and compassion and to be assertive. And that's where the training comes in handy. But the layperson doesn't have that training. So I'm pretty impressed that you you got to that point without it. 
on my own. Yeah. yeah. No, I can definitely see that rescuer role that resonates with me. What I would like to know is can I still be a rescuer but it'd be a positive thing? Because I, I like the idea of rescuing and mm. or providing advice or being – a, you know, an aid to someone in a time of need. Hmm. So I'm hoping that I can still do that without it becoming a negative role. Can you give me an example of where you would hope it's positive? Well, you know, if a friend comes to you and they confide in you, they've got some issues going on and you're there to listen and to help. Now, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily a victim, but they might just be sharing with you hmm. things that are going on. And so you might listen, provide some advice um and i think that's a positive thing i don't see a Hmm. negative thing there because it's not um i don't think it's enabling me to um how do i say this it's not enabling me to be aiding them in a negative way if you know what i mean i'm not doing it necessarily just to fulfill my own ego Hmm. of trying to rescue them that I'm genuinely trying to provide some assistance for them. So there's nothing wrong with that. Here's where it becomes a rescuing role. And, and you know, sadly, I guess we're using the word rescue in a negative way. Mm. Um, so you help out your friend, which is lovely and, and not, you know, kind of you. And then your friend the next day rings up at midnight and says, Alex, I've got another problem. I really need your help. Right. And so you're on the phone for an hour. I'm just this is a random example. This hasn't hasn't actually happened that I know of. <laughs> but you're on yeah. the, maybe maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm psychic. So you become a well they become dependent on you for advice. Yes. Mm. And so you're on the phone for an hour, you lose sleep, you have to go to work the next day, you're feeling frustrated. And that that becomes a bit of a, a pattern, not ne- necessarily her or him calling you. I don't know what gender your friend is. <laughs> so I'm a very tired, high-functioning rescuer at yes, that point. <laughs> yes. And then the pattern continues in terms of demands of your time in a way that's impacting on your life in yep. a negative way. That's when it's rescuing. So you're still helping out and reaching out, um, you know, when she, when that person reaches out, but you you're doing it at the expense of your own self. And hence why you say as professionals, you've got to have that line that you don't cross. Yes. And I think as a friend, you need to have that as well. Definitely, obviously, if a friend is at your door and they're in desperate need of help and guidance, you, you provide that. And that's a, that's a kind, um, loving thing to do as but a friend. But you need to obviously help yourself first. So if yeah. you're losing sleep, you can't be of any use to anyone else if you can't function. That's right. And if you're starting to get angry with your friend because they're, they're making those demands on your time and um, they're not respecting the fact that you need sleep or, um, you know, they're ringing you up about, you know, really inane things because they're, they've become dependent on you. But it, So, okay, so in that situation... I'm not going to say whose fault it is, but have you kind of trained them then that yes. that's okay? Yes. Yeah, right. there's a very famous TV psychologist, Dr. Phil. <laughs> oh, <I'm laughs> Dr. <may> Phil. <laughs> that's it. Um, this is a good chance for you to practice your... <laughs> your <laughs> My impersonations. Person- impersonations. Um, so he's, he's got a famous saying that we train people how to treat us. Yeah. Yeah. So... And this leads to that 
whole thing of creating patterns and you go, why do people always keep knocking on my door at 2am and wanting help? And it's not that they're necessarily doing it because what a coincidence, everyone keeps knocking on my door and calling me up at all hours. But you've allowed them, you've trained them, you've actually set the precedent that says, you know, it's okay, you've done it once, maybe it's okay to do it a second time, third, fourth, and it keeps happening. And you Mm. wonder, how on earth did I get myself into this situation? And really, it's very clear how you got yourself into that situation because you you weren't in tune with your needs and um, when to draw the line. And so... And then when you have that realisation, you then become the victim. (laughs) And then you become the victim and then you get angry. And then you might either take it out on that friend or you might ignore that friend. Mm. And, you know, some people that find it hard to assert themselves and like the asserter in the winning triangle may start avoiding that friend yeah. and the, the friend's ringing at midnight and you're avoiding those calls. So it's almost like a rebound if it's gone the other way now. Yes, mm. yeah. So you can see how you can jump from one role to the other role in the drama triangle very easily and quite quickly mm. um, between people. And there are certain people in your life, uh, your life that will draw out those roles quite easily. Yeah. Um, and then there are others that may act out of, you know, the winning triangle, if you like, um, that are very calming to be around. And that's another indicator that people you interact with that, that use, you know, the behaviours that we talked about in the winning triangle are actually quite calming. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not anxious people um, or they're not uh, aggressive people. So there's a nice, calming, relaxing effect they have on you. Have you noticed that? Oh, absolutely. And look, there's a saying I heard once, which is surround yourself with people who are better, greater than you. Faster, stronger. (laughs) (laughs) We can rebuild him. Um, Who, Because you are basically the average of the five people you most hang around with. Yes, so, so true. why would you hang around with people who are draining you all the time because mm. all they're doing is pulling you back, pulling your average yeah. down? Um, and so it's very important that you choose the people very carefully who you want to surround yourself with. Yes, and, and it brings me back to what I was saying about identifying when you're personally involved in that triangle, not the other person, not your boss, not your friend that rings up at midnight, but identifying when you start engaging in the drama triangle. And sometimes that's not as easy to to do as, as it is to say because it takes self-awareness. I think it's, it's, it's even deeper than that. It's... You can, it's like sometimes if you're in a battered marriage, you can be aware that it's not good, but you still feel somehow entrenched Mm. in that situation. And I know I've had numerous friends and acquaintances who have been in very negative friendships. And uh, my response is, well, don't see them, don't hang around them while you're doing it. Yeah, but they're not all bad. There's still mm. some good in there. Yeah, but then why do you keep complaining? Oh, because he or she did this or that. And for me, I'm just going, why stay there? It doesn't make sense. But I can understand if they've built up a long-standing friendship over years and maybe it's served its purpose and they no longer – Not you don't have to keep everyone as a friend forever. Um that they may have 
outlived their usefulness as a friend or you may have grown, you may have grown apart, whatever it is, don't stay there just because you've been there and feel guilty that, no, I can't leave. Of course you can leave because as we've just talked about, you've got to look after yourself first. Yeah, and this is a really common thing that a lot of people might comment on, um, women in particular that are in an abusive relationship. Why don't they just leave? Mm. And, you know, it, it sounds like a simple solution, but it's actually not. There's there's multiple reasons for why women stay. And I used to work in the area of domestic violence and supporting women um, that are in that situation. And some of them wanted to leave and some of them wanted to stay. Yeah. And and I admire the ones that want to stay um, and also admire the ones that want to leave because it takes a lot of courage. But what some of the reasons are financial yeah. um, and the belief around the kids need their father. Yeah. And um, one of the biggest reasons is a low self-worth, a low sense of self. So it takes a sense of um, confidence and belief in oneself to actually choose a different action towards someone who's quite powerful in their eyes um, and abusive towards them and they you know keep them engaged in that let's call it a loop i'm you know this is the drama triangle but it's like a loop of you know i'm the one with the power you're the one um that is hopeless and needs to listen to me and is nothing, will amount to nothing without me present in your life. And some of the work that we used to do in this, um, the service that I worked in in the area of domestic violence is to build those um, clients' self-esteem and self-confidence so that they can make a better, a wiser choice for themselves. Mm, And I can see that that, particularly in a domestic situation, 100% that there are lots of reasons why you would stay or go. But in a friendship situation Mm. where there's less tying you together, there's not the financial dependency, there's not kids involved, there's not that, it doesn't make sense to me why stay in a – and it probably isn't a friendship. It's a pseudo-friendship. It's Mm. it's carrying on the the guise of a friendship. But really you're talking about each other behind each other's back so you don't really enjoy being together. Um, so why stay there and keep up this yes. pretense? Part of it is habit. You know, yeah. they're very familiar. And it may also be the belief that I've known this person for a long time. I've invested, you know, time and, um, you know, uh, many, many, you know, weekends of hanging out together. And, um, you know, you don't just give that up. So if you have that kind of belief then you continue a relationship that's actually quite dysfunctional for you. Mm. And again, the confidence that if I let this relationship go, then I'll be okay and I'll have, I can, you know, find other relationships to to fulfill my friendship needs. And once you do that, then it's like freedom. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because we talked about the triangle part of the drama triangle, which Mm -hmm. is the various roles, but the drama itself, what, is what fuels the drama and why is it so addictive for some people? Because it it almost feels like an addiction. Like if it's such a negative thing, why not walk away? What Mm. what draws people to stay in the drama? Okay. Do we have another couple of hours, (laughs) Alex, to talk about this? But that's a really good question as well because 
um, often people reenact the dramas from their childhood mm. and they do it in a way that they're not conscious of. And, um, you know, one example might be, um, you know, might be a, a woman who uh, grew up in a family where their father was very abusive towards their mother. And it was just known that, you know, dad's word was it. That that was it. Whatever dad said goes. And mum was the one that was at home cooking, cleaning, looking after the kids. And so this person's grown up with a belief that, um, you know, this is how family life is. And if she's never challenged that belief and she meets a man that, you know, this is uh, – I'm simplifying. It's not, it's not always this simplistic, but – you know, that's grown up with a belief that this is how it is and meets a man that actually controls her like daddy controlled mummy, then it just feels familiar, Mm. which is where the word family comes from, familiar. Mm. So it feels like their home, you know, and you would think that that home that that they've experienced was very uncomfortable, which is true. You know, there would be really awkward memories and, and feelings, but it's still familiar and what they know. So it's hard to shift away from that. Mm. The other part of it is that often in doing that, and part of the the reason why we do reenact, you know, those scenarios of the past is to work through them. Now, this is a theory that some people hold. And I like this concept because otherwise it's like being in purgatory, yeah. <laughs> repeat like hell, repeating that same drama over and over again groundhog day groundhog day um but the idea of the theory that we can actually you know the universe presents us with these scenarios these experiences so we can work through them and we can actually empower ourselves um by making different choices than what we did as a child now given that as a child we didn't have many choices. Yep. So it's very it's a very disempowering situation. So there are a couple of reasons why it is very addictive. Mm. Um, and, you know, when when you get out of the drama triangle with, with someone or, you know, with people, it's very liberating. It's a very liberating experience. And for some people, the lack of drama can feel quite boring. Yeah, because I can imagine that if you've had all this tension and then resolution and, you know, um, all that fiery kind of exchange that can sometimes happen and then to turn that off and you feel I'm disconnected now Mm. somehow. I've, I've lost a part of myself because there was this intensity you know, this flame mm. that I had when I was around this person. Yeah. Uh, and it happens, obviously, in intimate relationships too. When you've been with someone where it's been fiery, it can be good fiery, bad fiery, um, that once you turn that off, you feel that you've lost something and you can actually feel maybe that you've fallen off the wagon a little bit and you mm. might want to reach out to them again. <laughs> yeah, and you get back into the, the drama triangle. Yeah. Or the dramas of, you know, um, that you'd walked away from. But I guess the key is to find um, that intensity in positive ways. So, you know, a strong, loving connection maybe with, with a, uh, a new partner that um, doesn't persecute you over minor things and that you feel more equal to. 
or you might change your job and experience, you know, an opportunity in a new workplace where you can be assertive and have a fresh start. And, um, you know, people get to know you in a different way and you actually enjoy your job and, you know, you enjoy everything that comes with that job. So, um, yeah, you're right. And it's very – that's why I use the word seductive because um, it, it sucks you back in to the drama unless you've made a conscious choice. And this is part of our, you know, being mindful in relationships is um, being very present to that interaction will give you lots of clues as to whether you're in the drama triangle or not. So, okay. So in wrapping up, let me ask you this. If I'm in the drama triangle and I'm aware of it, um, what can I do? What tools can I utilize to get myself out of it? Hmm. So the first thing is be aware of what's going on in your body. So if you're um, engaging in drama, often, like I was saying before, there's a heightened anxiety, there's a lot of tension, there's angst, there's, you know, really um, intense emotions. So be aware of those emotions in your body. If you're noticing that, then stop. <laughs> like imagine the red stop sign and stop doing what you're doing. So opting out. Now, if it means like, you know, saying to that other person, look, I just, I just need a bit of a break or can we talk about this tomorrow or another time to give yourself that time and space to deal with it. So that's the first thing. The other thing is to not react in the way that you would always react with that person. So using the example of your friend that's, um, you know, coming to your door or ringing you up at midnight is to choose a different way of responding to that person. And an example might be... Um, Go yeah. away, I'm not home. <laughs> yeah, you could say that, but your friend might be very, very hurt. Mm. Or an- another way to do it might be to, to um, speak to her next time. Um, you might phone her or, or initiate that conversation and say, you know, you're a very good friend to me but and I want to help you out and I want to support you with what you're going through but I can't do it at midnight and I can't, I can't um, function the next day if I haven't had enough sleep. So I'm happy to help you but, you know, you need to ring me at, at normal hours. You know, something along the lines of that. So you're being assertive. You're choosing a different way of interacting with that person. And that's how you pull yourself out of it. But it starts with the awareness within your body that something is not right. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, if you touch the hot plate and you burnt your fingers, you wouldn't do it yes. again. Yet you, we, we find ourselves you know, with these friendships or these connections that aren't always positive, And yet we keep going back to them. Yes. And it doesn't make sense. And, you know, it's funny, I heard um, someone say this recently, even rats in a maze will not get electrocuted over and over and over. They'll stop, they learn. But as humans, we tend to repeat patterns over and over and hope for a different response. Mm. And, um, it, you know, we never really get it. I mean, it's only a miracle if the other person changes and goes, oh, now that, now that you've mentioned it a hundred times, I think I will change. That never happens. Um, so the onus is always on us to change and us to take um, notice of what's happening. So 
You know, there so it all starts ways. with awareness, right? Because if you're not aware, you really can't do anything about it. It's all about mindfulness, Alex, ah, and being in the present moment and being in your body as well. Maybe we might do an episode on how to be in your body and present um, and just some easy tips for people to, to be more self-aware. Hmm. Great tips. <laughs> awesome. Well, look, that's been really interesting learning about the drama triangle. I didn't know really anything about it. I, I mean, I, you experience it, you see it. Mm. I didn't have a name for it. Uh, but now I know exactly what it is in the various roles. Um, so, yeah, that's been awesome. Okay. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> and now you know how to step out of the drama? Yes. Yes, I could take, uh, put my right foot in and my right foot back out again. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps it up for today. Uh, we will catch you next time. See you later, everyone. Bye. Now, if you like this episode, you can find all our other episodes either on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Better still, subscribe and make sure you're the first to know when a new episode drops. You can also check us out at www.thednaofmindfulrelationships.com or on our Facebook page. We look forward to seeing you next time and until then, stay mindful. Stay mindful.